Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and other stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world. All right, everybody, welcome in. It is the best time of the week to possibly talk about the worst territory in the world. I'm Gabe sitting here with Chris. And Chris, this week we have one hell of a marathon podcast because I have a I have a I have a special surprise for you at the end that we're going to do at the end. But Goody. before we get all to, to the uh, the interview and this uh, special segment at the end, how is your week going so far this uh, this week? How oh, is your good. Week? It was good. I'm setting up uh, interviews. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to a couple of NWL interviews coming up. Um, you know, our, our man Gil Rogers is uh, going out of his way, spending time booking more people for us. So that's good. Okay, great. Um, yeah, he's he uh, he's talking to a couple other guys. So, yeah, we got some pipeline from Gil Rogers. Um, you know, we'll talk about this interview coming up, but I was really happy to talk with Akio Sato finally. And it was very interesting to find out about his past. But uh, yeah, this week, man, um, it's just sort of interesting to um, look at the headlines and see what's going on in pro wrestling because, uh, you know, as much as I'd like to say things are always changing, some things always stay the same. And that is just really stupid paranoia in professional wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we talk about the news, I know you you were telling me before we, you went on air that you wanted to talk about the blockbuster announcement that Tessa Blanchard has signed with XPW in California for a few shows. <laughs> Is that that you were just dying to talk about that, right? She's coming off that red hot run in nowhere. So, uh, yeah, everybody's really ready for her to sign. A red um, hot divorce and a red hot. <laughs> uh, she's, uh, I mean, in a world of like just complete dumpster fires, professional wrestling, she's like really high up. I mean, she's, she is like a top caliber dumpster fire. Uh, I don't know. It's like, she's, uh, I, I think she's talented <laughs> in the ring. I mean, she is she's actually very athletic. She's like in great shape, but, uh, apparently there's something wrong with her. Uh, I can only <laughs> guess it's mental. And, uh, you know, I mean, her dad was around for a minute, so I thought he was going to be uh, helping her get a job at AEW, but he's gone. So um, Tessa Blanchard is a talent, but, you know, unfortunately, she's dug a hole for herself that I don't think she's ever going to be able to make top money, at least not in the United States and maybe not Mexico anymore either. So I don't know where she's going next. I guess XPW, because that's where you go to ascend your career. Uh, I, I, so is it more shocking that Tessa Blanchard is trying to wrestle in the United States or is it, did you know XPW had restarted? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, XPW, you know, I've, I've seen, I've sort of watched them sort of come back around with, uh, you know, they, that was the dark side of the ring sort of reinvigorated yeah. them a little bit. Yeah. They, and then I heard they had like one show up in Jersey after the dark side of the ring, which if you were going to do something, you know, years later, you should do it on the heels of a show where niche wrestling fans are watching about your product that was like filled with porn and all this other stuff. Uh, but now and cutting up people's fingers, but now, uh, Oh, how dare you? <laughs> the, uh, what ended up happening is that they had a show in like Jersey or something right after that. And, I heard the dude talk about it and he said there was like a hundred people there and it was so bad. So the fact that they're back on the West coast now doing shows, um, you know, it's just, I assume it's still with Mr. Black, right? 
Yep. Did you see oh, wow. the the clip that was going around of, of this deathmatch wrestler Masada burning himself to a crisp? I saw that. You know, I actually talked to Masada about coming into NWL because he because uh, he was friends with I think Moonshine Mantel was friends with Masada. That's right. They're, I think they're both so, Texas guys. So he had asked. Uh, he's like, hey, you know, I could have a I could have a good match with him. So I talked with him and. Um, it just never came to fruition. I can't remember or exactly remember what happened, but anyway, so I've talked with the guy, um, but it's dude, the, the levels that people are going to now are unbelievable. Even on AEW, like I, every week, someone does a dive where I think they're going to like, you know, cut off their head or something. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's not shocking to me that, you know, this wasn't an XPW. I think it was XPW where was. the guy basically had the uh, penis, the uh, syringe to the penis. Oh, that's so, what you were telling <laughs> I think that's the one. I think that was XPW. So, I mean, yeah. at what point do you go now? I mean, like, you, you can't just complete deep DP insertion is about all you can do now. So, uh, but I mean, maybe that's, but that would be a false finish. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But I'm looking forward to XPW. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm looking forward to their best of uh, 2023 tape. I, I I love how we I, I really wasn't expecting to talk about this and we actually did talk about it. But what we really wanted to talk about was, hey, guess what? Guess what? CM Punk. That's right. CM Punk is once again dominating the news cycle this last sure. week because he is a news getter, maker, all that kind of stuff. And leading into last Wednesday's show, Dynamite, we were all expecting the big announcement of Collision. I personally am a fan of Tony Khan's announcements. Because boy, oh boy, give me whatever that guy's on. Um, <laughs> but you know, wide-eyed and like, hey guys, this week. So everyone was expecting him to announce the show, but also announce the um basically the homecoming of CM Punk, and that did not happen. So apparently, room the scuttlebutt going around, and which I again we've talked about this off air, um, is that it's all about a steal. Mm-hmm. It's Our all about his steel. It's all about his loyalty and wanting to basically take a steel back or get him his job back, which apparently he got back already. So Chris, what do you make? Again, we're personally close to the situation. What do you make? I think this is more like an expose on journalism. What do you make of what you're hearing versus what is probably the truth or reality? Well, let's start with the Tony Khan announcement, the major announcement every week. Do you think he realizes that, saying he has a major announcement has become his catchphrase, like, you know, Teddy Long coming out and saying, like, a tag team match, player. Do you, <laughs> do you realize that that is now, like, I so have a major announcement coming up. I mean, it's every week, dude. I mean, it's, like, ridiculous. It's not, And the, very few are actually major. And, like, now that you do it every week, nothing is major. So it's just it's comical that that is because that, it's sort of like when Major at NWL had his PowerPoint presentation and that became oh. a T-shirt. My and God, now, I remember now, that. Now Tony Khan should have a, I have a major announcement, guy. Thanks, guys. Like, that's what it should be. Uh, but as far as journalism and wrestling, I mean, I I, I spent 20 years, 25 years in journalism, and the, the quote-unquote journalists in wrestling are a freaking joke. I mean, uh, I just, I just, uh, just buried that. I, I hate even saying his name because he's just I don't know why he's picked to be the 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 dipshit of the week here, but uh, the Sean Ross Sap guy, I don't know where this guy has any credibility at all. I don't know. He was just picked by uh, Fightful to become their their little uh, you know their their main man writing for professional wrestling for them or whatever. But right. um, 
as far as the way he conducts himself in yeah. and out of the ring and the way he, you know, sort of defends himself like a petulant four-year-old child, uh, he is a laughable joke. Uh, I actually got blocked by him because I was sort of like staying on him about this when the punk and a stuff first happened. And he had all this stuff wrong, uh, because, you know, I knew what was going on and, uh, I heard it from people there. So, uh, and so he had everything wrong and he was writing it and he was, he was putting it behind a stupid little paywall. And I was like, just basically saying like, guys, if you want to pay for stuff that's completely wrong, uh, you know, you can go ahead and give him your money. And I was blocked, whatever. So, uh, I don't know this guy. He's been a huge uh, cog in professional wrestling history. Let me tell you. So it's hurt my feeling immensely, but the the uh like Dave Meltzer's the world that that and Brian Alvarez is such a whiny baby. Oh like, my god, he is a whiny he's such whiny a whiny like watching when I see clips on uh you know social media. Thanks for watching, guys. When I see clips on social media from him, I think uh I mean I, I, these are the people that you know this is the sad part about journalism, like in you know, they they have so much power in a in a world where they shouldn't and they really you know are proven wrong pretty much daily if not weekly right but uh this a steel cm punk stuff you know it's 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 been interesting because as you said we are i'm a personal friends with a steel and he's a great guy and i uh know his side of the story about what happened backstage that fateful night and uh i completely agree and believe everything he said and um you know i that 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 side of the story has never truly been told and so the fact that these guys try to act like they know everything that's going on and that they're in the know you know they're they're just they're just gossip collectors who put it on you know social media or their or their paid newsletter websites whatever and look i am a big fan of gossipy uh people magazine you know stuff sure, sure. so it's it's enticing but the problem is, is much like, you know, regular news now or whatever side of politics you are on, uh, it's just it's none of it. It's all sensationalized, you know, so uh, and most of it's wrong, uh, but it's interesting. Right. So that's why people follow it. But anyway, this this latest stuff where uh, basically a steel, I guess it's been confirmed that he has already signed with AEW. Um, and then, you know, Punk is obviously upset that. uh some of the things that they had talked about that were going to happen in the return weren't going to actually happen. So then he wasn't involved in that major announcement. And I just think that, uh, you know, it, there's a little bit of, you know, when I was working with Vince, uh, my, my friend Seth and I would always laugh, like whoever got to Vince last one. Okay. Which sucked because like we could have everyone in the room planning on this, take a vote. Everyone's going to, we're going this direction. We are definitely going this direction. Kane is definitely defeating Triple H for the world title. And then uh, and then the last person, usually at that point, Triple H, that would talk to Vince would win. And, it, you know, it's just that there is some of that in this. But, like, if everything was cool and everyone's still on the same page with Punk, Ace, and Tony and everything going forward, and Tony is obviously going against some of the people that he likes wishes here because I'm sure if it was up to the EVPs or even Mega, his lawyer, None of these people would be back. But the sad part is that the ratings have tanked and, you know, outside of selling out Wembley Stadium, everything else is not going in the best direction as far as attendance and, and you know, uh, key demo. So, you know, I just um, I, I think it makes it's a good business move by Tony. I mean, there's a lot of bad business moves by Tony, but this one seems like a good one. But for some reason, <clears throat> I don't know who, Gabe, but there are some people that don't like that. So 
who talked to Tony last? Who changed it at the last minute? Who changed it the week before going into the major announcement that everything sort of got muddled up again? I I, I fear this whole thing with Ace and Punk and all this. I mean, turn over the the hourglass and just it's it's going to be a matter of time before this all implodes again. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be the EVPs quit and I doubt it because they'd never have as good of a job ever in their life. Or, uh, you know, somebody, there's just going to be so much backstage backstabbing that, you know, it's going to get too much for someone like Punk, who obviously doesn't, doesn't, uh, you know, deal with that well, and neither would I. So it's just, it's, it's set up to fail anyway, but in professional wrestling, so much of that has happened through the years, you know, I mean, we've had the return of the ultimate warrior like 10 times, right? Why? Why? Because he's a draw. But we know we all know Sid Vicious by at some point is going to do something stupid and leave and play softball or whatever. But he's a draw. So we'll see how this one goes. But I, I don't see great long term for either side. No, especially when you have the lack of leadership, as we've discussed in podcast past about um, is specifically concerning Tony Khan and. You know, it, when I first got into the wrestling business, you know, I, of course, I read, you know, Dave Meltzer's newsletter and I was like, oh, my gosh, like this is this is like the gospel truth, you know, or it's at least somewhat true because we all know that, you know, they're blah, blah, blah. But when you get into the wrestling business, you realize how incredibly inaccurate not only most of the journalists are. I mean, there's shreds of truth in everything, but it's only like these little shreds. And then you realize that like, there's also a whole bunch of stuff that they don't report on. You're like, why isn't that being reported on? Like, if I know it, why doesn't that guy know it? You know, and I'm just some schlub sitting in Kansas City, Missouri, you know, like why, why wouldn't Dave Meltzer report on it? But, you know, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see what punk, again, we heard that now that everything's okay and punk is still going to you know, debut on collision and, you know, they've announced they're absolutely, I bet you it's going to be a horrific video game that's finally coming out. Oh, so, have you seen the screenshots? Oh, I haven't seen the screenshots. No. Oh my God. I saw screenshots last night on Twitter uh-huh. and someone, and the, first of all, I'm not going to say it, it doesn't look horrible as far as the likeness, but it doesn't look like state of the art either. However, what I would say is the the graphic was on there and it said, for those of you who are scared, they were going to take all the blood out of the game. Here's, you know, contrary to that opinion, here's here's what it really looks like. And there were two girls in the ring fighting and there were the entire canvas was splattered with blood. Okay. And the girls were bloodier than any guys, any any dusty match you've ever seen. And I'm like, this is what they're putting out. It's yep. just amazing. I mean, obviously, they're not going towards children. They're going towards, you know, the key demo, which is uh, – <laughs> I love key demo. I love, This is where we're at now. We're not going over total uh, overall ratings anymore because those obviously suck ass. So now we're going to – we have to split it up a little bit more to make it look like that it's still good because we have to, you know – you know, his batting average sucks, but his on base is really good. You know, like uh, right. we don't we don't go off the generic stuff anymore. We have to find the niche category that uh, that actually we can sort of say oh. that they're doing well with. Oh, but, my God. Oh, I'm looking at what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And this bad. is a screenshot of actually Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho. Those are the yeah, I saw that one, too. And there is cuts all over their backs. They're uh, and there's blood. It looks like a Mortal Kombat game. 
I guess they're I guess they're trying to go like opposite of WWF where you know they're not going to go ever PG. They want to make it an alternative. So maybe that in the in a way is good, but obviously it's they're suck. limiting they're it's limiting their well yeah, it's been like 3 years in production, dude. It's going to uh, we'll see how this game looks. I, I I'm sure I'm sure wrestling AEW fans will love it and that's just how it's going to be. So it doesn't like, really it's so bloody and it's uh, just like the N64 yeah. games blah blah blah. Yep. Going back to the journalists, though, the problem yeah. is, and this is what I tell my grandmas who watch like Ooh. any news, whether it's CNN, Fox, why it doesn't matter when they watch it and they sit in their house and they're paranoid all day because news is all negative and horrible. And you have to sit there and try to talk them off the ledge like we're all going to die today. And I tell them, Grandma, this is not how it, I, I've worked in journalism and news. This is news is 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 decided by a singular person for the most part, the news director. And that is swayed heavily on what they like and what they want to call news, you know? Uh, so every day when I'm watching news, I tell my wife, like, this isn't news. Like, it's usually, you know, like the juggling bear or something stupid, right? It's like, <laughs> they don't have enough real news to cover 30 minutes. But anyway, so it's same with wrestling journalism. I mean, I, I when I was working for WWF, we knew who the leaks were. Well, I mean, it, we, we would see them in a dark hallway talking on a cell phone and we know who they're calling. And you and said, Terry, like... get off that cell phone. <laughs> there was, there were several that were, could easily be called out. But, uh, you know, and you can tell by the way Dave wrote it, obviously, the way he just blows AEW that he's obviously getting information from AEW. So, I mean, that's not that's not hard to say. I mean, WWE has never been more criticized than when AEW came around, which is really interesting. But for those of you that read it and are like, no, this is good. Dave's so good. He's been there since day one. Dave is a paid hack. OK, I mean, he's the same. It's the same as any other person writing to try to get people to buy his crap. OK, he's not some human rights activist. He's, he doesn't really care anymore than he wants subscribers and to be relevant in this business. And the only way to do that is, is to be, uh, you know, sort of controversial and hackish in the way you cover stuff, because real journalism, real journalism doesn't really even exist. So, uh, I mean, unbiased journalism doesn't exist. It doesn't. It That's never has. Point. Like, I was in journalism school. I'm like, that, this doesn't really exist. But anyway, wrestling is even the, the worst deplorable levels of that. So um, as much as it's interesting to read all the cool little headlines by all these people you've never heard of on these URLs that you've never heard of, but for some reason we go, click on them and they're gospel. Um, yeah, they're usually full of crap. So, you know, whatever. I, I'm, I, it's interesting. It's like it's watching, you know cars crash you know i'm going to i'm going to read it but you just right. have to understand that this is garbage it really is it's just but it's it's fun to you know think about stuff but the real the reality of it is you don't ever know the real thing going on absolutely absolutely so it only time will tell as the saga of cm punk continues mm -hmm. in aew how was that for a transition all right Chris, let's talk about the interview we have today with Akio Sato. Man, um, what an interview this is going to be. So why don't you go ahead and tell them about this? So I, you know, as I've said on here before, and I say in this interview, I have not talking to Akio Sato ever. I set this up. I sort of had a pre-interview with him just to sort of explain like what we were doing, what we were. And, um, you know, I talked, gosh, that night I talked to him for at least an hour and a half. And it was just fun catching up. Um, you know, he's an old school guy, so he's not really going to sit here and spill the beans to someone who doesn't really, uh, understand what's going on or whatever, you know, they right. feel you out. The old timers feel you out to see if like, it's even worth their time to talk to you. And hopefully, and thankfully I made the cut. So, uh, Akio Sato, when I interviewed him in the interview you're hearing here soon is, uh, I learned so much about, 
uh, you know, I went into it and I had actually asked a couple of guys that send in questions like, Hey, what do you want to know about Akio Sato? A couple, you know, because they grew up watching him in the seventies, eighties. And, you know, they had some good questions and I had, and I went in with like a whole list of stuff about central States and people and more name associations and stuff like that, that I usually like to do with the guys in Kansas city. But Akio Sato was like, opened the door to a whole other world of stuff that I found really fascinating, which was, as we're talking about with W with uh, CM Punk and WWE and stuff like this, the sort of the politics of Japanese wrestling, which there are, but they're just, it's different, different than American yeah. uh, wrestling yeah. politics, but they're still existing as it's with every com- company and of anything. But um, man, I learned so much about his background. You know, how he was the basically the young boy slash assistant of Giant Baba, how much pull he had back in the day, how many great decisions he was making to help all Japan stay afloat, uh, how he had to tell Giant Baba that he wasn't going to win the AWA title because Akio Sato had talked to a television station that they were dealing with and basically told them, hey, it's in best interest not for Giant Baba to win the title. And he had to break that news to Baba, the seven-footer smoking on a cigar in a dark room with him and him just sitting there. I mean, these are interesting stories. Um, Of course, he talked all about coming to Kansas City and what it was like being Japanese in America because we always have friends that go to Japan to wrestle and they always have cool stories about, you know, cultural stuff. And he to hear the Japanese guy in America for the first time who has made his home in Kansas City for 40 years now uh, to tell these stories is pretty fun. But uh, I was really happy to talk with him and hopefully we can talk to him again in the future because he was uh, incredibly funny and uh, a, a great, uh, great storyteller perspective. Great, great storyteller and a different perspective yeah. than what we've had so far. Absolutely. I can't, I can't wait for you guys to hear this interview. So let's go ahead and kick to it right now. Akio Sato right here on the worst territory in the world. It's the worst territory. I am now here with former Central States heavyweight champion and a guy that I have watched uh, as a kid. And it's great to talk to him now. First time ever. Mr. Akio Sato. Akio, thanks for joining me today. Uh, I'm happy to be doing this. <laughs> Me too. I never got to speak to you. Like I said, like when I when I called when I was doing that documentary 15 years ago, I sadly did not get to talk to you. But uh, everyone that knows Kansas City wrestling knows Akio Sato. <laughs> well, yeah, I end up in here from Japan, you know, I uh, because uh, I was here. Then I got along with the promoters and. Uh, uh, big can uh, Central State has, including St. Louis, St. Massonique, and all that. They have a big uh, friendship with uh, Japan, Giant Baba, which is I start with the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, so I read that you started your debut in 1970 for a company called Japan Pro Wrestling Alliance, but then you left to go over to All Japan with Giant Baba. Is that what happened? Yeah. Uh, Giant Baba and uh, Antonio Inoki was the top two stars Japan Pro Wrestling. That was so big and another I mean uh, all all over in Japan was a big sports. Mm-hmm. Japan is a uh, baseball and uh, all the other like a sumo and uh, it's really big you know any sports in Japan. Sure. But uh Baba and Inoki, they were the top two stars. And every Friday night, 
live TV from arena, just like a uh, WWE does now, you know. Yeah. And uh, that was unbelievable because back then was uh, nobody was doing like that live TV from arena in the United States. I only hear stories about how Japanese wrestling was back in the day. I I never got to meet or see live Giant Baba, but what was your relationship like with with him? How was he as a boss? Uh, I was his. Uh, uh, what if we have a system come from a sumo, younger. Uh, wrestlers, beginners, they take care of the top stars like uh, Yokozuna, Ozeki, and uh, Makuchi, top stars, you know. Mm-hmm. They do like a job, I guess the United States say gopher, you know, hey, kids, go get this and go get that, you know, or do this and do that, you know. Just take care of the stars around them. I was, uh, Barbara was uh, my master, I guess. I was uh, 16 years old. Then I started. Uh, that was pretty cool. I mean, that's cool that's, that you get to be with him at that point. Yeah, that's why I picked up the business about wrestling business so quick without knowing because he was telling me his experience in the United States. And uh, I mean, Baba was a big star everywhere. Sure. I mean, uh, he's he's obviously in the United States uh, for a guy that doesn't follow Japanese wrestling a lot. Giant Baba yeah. is obviously, you know, top two. Him and Inoki, basically. Yeah, Inoki wasn't doing much in the United States, but uh, right on. I mean, Baba, he was, I mean, so big, you know. He's like a 6'11", back then, a Japanese, all small, you know. <laughs> sure, I mean, he was, I mean, he was like a, yeah, a basketball player size. <laughs> yeah, then uh, he used to play baseball, so he's a, uh, Athletic uh, uh, scale was uh, pretty good, you know. Wow. Yeah, he was very tall and slender. He was very skinny. Yeah, then uh, his uh, uh, waist down, the bottoms of the legs was so good. Oh, know? wow. So were you a were you a booker with him? I, I I don't when I read some of this stuff, doing some research on your beginnings, like it said that you were the booker for him in all Japan from eighty one to eighty four. Did you were you a guy that were a matchmaker there? Uh, yeah, I was uh, 81 to 85, and uh, uh, I was saved the comp- uh, company because Baba was spending too much money. The company couldn't get going anymore, promotion. Okay. And uh, TV station, and uh, they had a deal. TV station was supposed to back him up for no matter what forever. Hmm. But they didn't know what to do with it because between the Baba Inoki promotions, they were competing each other and still the American charming and they pay more money, more money, and uh, uh, they couldn't figure out how much money coming, how much money it goes out. They couldn't figure out. They was just stealing each other, pay more money, more money, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Stuff like that. So anyway, I went back. And then uh, the guy was coming from TV station. He's supposed to take care of uh, uh, business for Baba's promotion. He didn't know what to do with it because he didn't he didn't have any idea about the system uh, in Munich. Yeah. So he got me aside. He said, uh, I heard you've been in uh, the United States a long time, and, and uh, you have a lot of connection with the promoters. I said, 
yes, I do. A few promoters, I can talk about anything or I can ask anything about it, you know. So he goes, are you, uh, you interested in doing a booking, matchmaking? I say, yeah, that's no hard work, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's why I got to uh, become to the booker because Baba was a step out of the uh, management for business. He was still on the promotion, but uh, he was kicked out of their management. I see. Yeah, nothing to do with it. So with, you know, I, I was on the, the creative team uh, here in America for the World Wrestling Federation years ago. But, uh, you know, when I was there, it was mainly we did matchmaking, but a lot of storyline and character development is what we did mostly. What, what was Japanese matchmaking like? Did you have to did you just worry about matches and long term matchmaking or did you worry about characters and like storylines like that? Uh, you know, I, I didn't have any worry because Baba was the one of the best Japanese top wrestler in the history, but he didn't have a management head. And this is, uh, in the side, Baba's wife back then, they wasn't legally married, but a Baba's wife. He was the most scared, scared thing is Baba going to lose a wife, which is a girlfriend. Hmm. That was that was his minus uh, part. I see. He was he was just uh, the she was the number one priority for everything for Baba. <laughs> and uh, that's why he didn't care. I mean, uh, he didn't look at her business or he didn't look at it. As uh, you know, what's going on uh, the world wrestling business? I see. I see. She was uh, uh, publicly didn't never announced that they was together. She couldn't marry openly, married to him, or he couldn't marry to her openly. But uh, you know, and uh, that was uh, another thing. That was a big problem later on because she was so jealousy for the world because she come from the supposed to be a nice family and she can she have to be hiding you know uh, like a nobody wow and anyway that was a problem then to me the booking was uh so easy because tv is live every friday and uh, between the tours we can tape it then the show on uh, friday night you know and uh, I didn't have any problem to book the guys from the United States. And it included the NWA champion and all that, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, he had a lot of pull, and you're saying that you could use that power to bring basically anybody over that wanted to come over. Yeah. I have no problem with that. And uh, I pretty much know that every territory – Every promoter, how do you approach for the guys I want? Some of them, you can talk to the directory, call, call up in the home, say, hey, uh, such a time, we are looking for you guys, uh, you're going to be in Japan, what do you think, blah, blah, blah. Or some guys, I have to go through the promoter or bookers. Mm-hmm. So I knew the difference there, so, which is nobody else, new in Japan back then. Yeah. 
even include the barber or Inoki. Wow. Well, that's cool. I had no idea how uh, how much power you had or how much influence you had in, in booking over in Japan at that point. Wow. Well, I had a, probably for my age and all that, I had a, probably too much power. That's why <laughs> I never got paid what, what I supposed to pay and the war. Uh, uh, never, nobody gave me a credit because they didn't know what I was doing. Sure, sure. Well, that's a, that's typical in wrestling. How they a lot of they keep they keep them around young so they don't have to pay them and they work them to death. <laughs> so what it usually works. Another thing, though, I never asked it. That's my big mistake too. You know. Sure, sure. I should have done that because I thought maybe one day they're gonna realize what I'm doing. Because Baba almost lost. Uh, he lost uh, management for his promotion. And uh, they could have taken everything away from him or kicked him out of the business. Wow. But I didn't do it. I can say I was the biggest reason. After that, he come back later on and uh, keep going till he died. Sure, sure. Wow. That's pretty cool. I had no idea. I was... I was looking at some of the people that you wrestled in the 70s over in all Japan, and it's funny because I see a lot of the names from Kansas City times or Central States. I see you had in Japan you wrestled with or against, you know, the likes of Bob Brown, Bob Geigel. Uh, you know, these are the. Was it interesting to wrestle these these Americans like that? I don't know how prevalent that was for you at the time, but what what do you do? You remember your first memories of meeting Bob Geigel over in Japan? Oh. Uh very first time was uh, that was a uh, 74 January okay and uh, we had a Joe Higuchi he was referee he was well known with American guys and uh, that was a two hour started then uh, Joe come to my dressing room he goes hey uh, Bob Geigel from promoter from Kansas City, he was really uh, uh, looking forward to meet you. I go, promoter from Kansas City. And I didn't know where he knew about me and how know about me. But uh, him and uh, Dory Funk Sr. is a good friend and uh, their promoter. Back then was a main uh, member for the NWA. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, and uh, I guess Dory Funk Senior told him about it. Hey, when you go to Japan, keep eye on a young kid, Sato. He's gonna. He's uh, he's not a top wrestler or anything like that, but uh, he is very unique. He's very good. That's that's he told me later. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So he said, which one is a Sato? Which one's a Sato? I guess Gago was looking looking for me, you know. Yeah. So that was the very first time. Then Joe goes, come to the other side of the restaurant later, you know. So I went there, and then he goes, hey, kid, are you the Sato? I said, yes. Uh, you know, I didn't speak any English. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I was really looking forward to see you or meet you, you know, but I have no idea. <laughs> well, I doubt it. I doubt Geigel knew any Japanese, right? No, no, no. I then I didn't. I, before I come here, so I only know the good morning or goodbye. You know I me. Mean? <laughs> sure, sure. 
so anyway, then uh, he was, uh, he, I guess, watched the whole time the, when he was in Japan, the tour. Oh, that's cool. So uh, did, was Bob Brown over there with him too at the time? Uh, no. That's a different time. Okay. And uh, Bob Brown was before that, I think, he come to Japan for Bob's uh, new promotion. Yeah, it looks like it was but, er- earlier in the 70s, yeah. Then uh, the, he was uh, he was Bob Brown, and uh, we have uh, information about he was working the top in the central state, whatever you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so how did you how did you eventually make your way to America, and what happened in Japan that would want you to leave if you had that sort of powerful role with Baba? In Japan, you uh, start young, whatever. Then you, in uh, sometime a short time or sometime long term, after that they send you to United States to get the experience, business experience, appearance experience, stuff like that. They're gonna send you uh, someplace, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was promised from the beginning. And uh, almost I was going to Mexico. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, when I was young, uh, the guy, uh, El Soltario, you know him, that he was the one of a top, uh, uh, he was a top, top guy in Mexico. Yes, I definitely know of him. Yeah, he was so big. We didn't know. We thought was a mascot was uh, number one, you know, in Japan. Sure, sure. <laughs> Huge name, yeah. But I didn't know Solitario was bigger than the mascot in Mexico. It was a so, lot harder back then for you to know that information, you know? You don't have the internet or so many publications. No, it's a little magazine or, you know, some uh, somebody write about uh, Mexico or United States, you know, on the book, something like that. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. But anyway, so anyway, Solitario wanted to take me back to uh, Mexico with him. I was, I was like 19, you know, I go, wow. But then uh, they told me they, uh, I was too young. So somebody told the Solitario, tell him that don't say, uh, you know, talk about a shot or whatever. I was protected because I'm going to get unheat from the other boys. I see. <laughs> yeah. So uh, like uh, he's too, still too young. One day he might go, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. But uh, please, uh, you know, quiet about, about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but anyway, that was, so sooner or later, sometime I'm going to go America, then maybe Mexico. And uh, then Baba, that was a new, I mean, uh, that was a Japan promotion before Baba Inoki spread. Okay. Then Inoki, he got kicked out of the uh, organization. Then same year later on, Baba was he opened up the new office. I mean, a promotion with a TV station. Now the, everything going to be changed. Mm-hmm. Sure, <laughs> everybody, everybody. Then Baba had a deal with a Dory Funk Senior. Uh, Dory Funk Senior was a big pipeline for Baba 
to send the guy, American talent to Japan, you know. He becomes the book for Bob. Then, Dory Funk Sr., Terry Funk, I mean, uh, Dory Funk, Terry Funk, Dory Funk Sr., they all come to Japan. Then, Sr. really liked it. my work, where I do in the ring. I was like, uh, just turned 20. Wow. So, that's why he told the Bob Geigo, they, uh, you know, keep eye on this kid, blah, 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 you know. Sure, sure. So, I turned 21. I was ready to go. Baba said, you got to go to the United States a couple of years. Go get experience, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, they sent me to Texas. Dory Funk Sr. was already passed away here before that. So, I come to uh, Dory Funk Jr. and the Terry Funk uh, Terry Funk. Um, Texas, West Texas. So as a Japanese wrestler, do, do Japanese wrestlers look forward to going to America at all, or are they just forced to do it and they don't really care? Like, how, what was your opinion on going to America? Were you excited about doing it? Oh, well, everybody looking forward because back then, Japan, anybody goes to the United States for one year, two years, uh, a lot of them, like uh, six months or one year or whatever, then they, it's a chance to go you know, they're going to push you. Sure. And uh, that was a uh, big, become to the, you know, being star. Just the uh, preliminary uh, wrestler, they come to some kind of a uh, label, they're going to put them on you. Yeah. So everybody looking forward. I wasn't, I was too young. I, I say, uh, I told Baba one time, I said, can I wait like maybe a year and a half or two years? I'm still young. I was only like a 20, you know. Baba said, if you don't go, I got to send the guys younger than you. The guys started after you. Looks like they passed you. I'm not going to let you have that. You got to go. So I said, okay. <laughs> that's a, well, that's great. I mean, you had so much, you had so much uh, experience before you were even 21 years old. Yeah, in Japan, that was a lot of, when you, you know, kick with, uh, spread, bubble spread, this and that. That was, oh my God. Um, I was thinking, I said, I really come into this kind of world, you know. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of changes. Like, yeah, nothing like uh, you listen or watching on TV every week. They talk about, you know, all the wrestlers, what they did and what they're doing, you know, what's uh, looking forward to be, you know, stuff like that. It's a whole other ugly side of business starts showing, you know what I mean? Yeah, sometimes it makes you less of a fan when you get uh, close to seeing the other side of it because it, it's, it makes it real and not fun, you know? Yeah, then, uh, yeah, that was really, I, two years, Japan Pro Wrestling, I didn't have any worry. I had enough money. I was having the fun, work out every day, uh, have a match, great, better match every day, blah, blah, blah. I was growing so quick. And after they spread, that was, I see the ugly, a lot of ugly side of business, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, that was the reason the Baba the strongest tag team in the history. They could have draw big money, uh, they could have done a big business. The two TVs rating was over 30%. <laughs> Can you believe that every week 
rating, TV rating is over 30 percent. I mean, that, that's, you know, I've heard it. We had that in America, too, when there were two or three stations, but uh, it's an incredible number. Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, because uh, any shows is like uh, close to 30 percent or over 30 percent TV ratings is almost like everybody watching. Because especially in wrestling, young kids are not going to touch the TV channel. When you, uh, Friday, 8 o'clock at night, it's all dogs control the channel. Wow. It's like a, almost everybody watching. So next day you go to the school. I was in a great school, whatever. Then the middle school. If you don't watch those, next day you have nothing to talk to the people. I mean, other friends. <laughs> Well, yeah, I can only relate to that from when I was, you know, when it was uh, hot during the Attitude Era here in the late 90s in America, that was the same thing. You know, everyone watched and everyone talked about Stone Cold or The Rock or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the same thing. So then another thing is some hot TV comedy show, whatever, you next day you go to the school, then everybody copy it, and then everybody talk about it, then, you know... They uh, try to be a comedian. There's some <laughs> hot shows you watch. That was. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And uh, sumo, when your tournament is over, who win the tournament? This and that. That's a big news all over Japan. You got to know those things. Hey, did you see yesterday that he he win? Blah blah blah. Then if you don't watch it, you're gonna be like a leftover, left out. <laughs> it, it's so different now like no one television and there's so many shows and so many things going on that no one has that kind of uh community connection anymore to something like pro wrestling when it was like that oh no 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 that was a thing going wow uh ricky dozen his time that was he was the master for baba inoki both of them and uh he's Highest rating was uh, like almost fifty percent. Wow! I'm talking about almost fifty percent is every TV was watching in Japan. Sure. Jeez. Yeah, that big. Anyway. Wow. So. Let's get to your uh, time when you, you so you, you spent some time with the Funks and you were down in Texas and, and Western states. But when did you uh, decide that you were going to make the move to Central States up there with Bob Geigel, Pat O'Connor, Harley Race? When did that happen and how did that come about? I went to 74 April, went to the West Texas. Then uh, 75 February, Terry Funk said, Akio, you time to go Central State. In the Kansas City, I say you're gonna be stuck there in like uh, I forgot three four weeks whatever. Guy will waiting for you. And uh, same time I meet the Pat O'Connor in Japan before that, and uh, I guess he knew me. He was watching me work out before the match and stuff like that. Then uh, uh, Sam Masnick. 1973 January, he was in uh, uh, Japan for tour. Okay. In the Sam Masunik. So 1975 February, last week of February, I went to I come to here Central 
state uh, promotion. And uh, two, three weeks later, I think our first time I went to St. Louis TV. That was back then pretty good TV, local TV for the wrestling business in the St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chase, Chase uh, Wrestling, whatever, I forgot. <laughs> Wrestling, was, wrestling at the chase, yes. Wrestling at the chase. And uh, the, I knew I stopped picking up about the TV uh, in the United States. Every territory different, every town's different. And uh, almost like a never goes, a network TV goes the same wrestling show on the same night everywhere. It doesn't go that way. Yeah. That was everything local, 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 local. Then the TV, uh, Wrestling at the Chase, was a very well-done, organized TV show for wrestling. I noticed that. Mm-hmm. Which is Sam Masonic. One time, he was the smartest promoter in the NWA. He, like, he made the NWA, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's very, very respected guy in wrestling history. Then... I figured out in the short time, Sam Masonic only owns the St. Louis TV. I mean, St. Louis uh, uh, Wrestling. Mm-hmm. back then. He runs the shows around St. Louis once in a while, maybe only a few times a year. It's only a few times. He made everything in the St. Louis Kill Auditorium back then. Sometimes goes to the, the hockey place, uh, St. Louis. The Checker Dome? Checker Dome. But anyway, what I'm saying is, I noticed that Sam Masonic was the only one promoter runs same town whole years. And then there's a very success promotion. You're right. I thought it was just something different. But anyway, then Sam Masonic, he saw me in Japan. The very first day after I got to Kansas City, I went to St. Louis TV, and uh, that's a pain of pain ass. Can I say that? Yes, you can. I agree. I hate that you drive. Three morning, then uh, you got to be ready for like a, a 10, 30, 11 o'clock, get ready in the ring, then start giving the right up. Because the TV match, first, I mean, uh, like a five, 10 minutes, you got to put everything in there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They want to put the, so many guys in there, so many matches in there. Like a matches like a 10 minutes, one for 10 minutes time limit. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, you got to be ready. Then they do the three tapes. They, uh, one day they tape the three tapes, then the next show, the next two weeks for that, you know? Yep, yep. So that's really pain. I'm tired. And mm-hmm. uh, Sam Masonic, very first time I went to St. Louis TV, and uh, Sam Masonic looked at me. He goes, Oh, you, I remember you, young boy in Japan. Blah, blah, blah. He got me inside. He said, Hey, show a lot of Japanese moves on TV. That's the very first time uh, he showed me. <laughs> so. Every time I go there, Pat O'Connor was a booker. He tells me, Sato, uh, do the best you can show. I, I used to have a lot of good moves, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
So that was uh, that was the first time Samasonic said it showed a lot of that. He calls the Japanese moves. <laughs> we, he, I, I don't know what else I'd say at the time. Yeah, at the time, that's all you you could classify them as. But thing was, I feel so safe because big time promoter Samasonic was know me from Japan. Then he said, I "Remember your young boy, you know." And uh, I already knew the Pat O'Connor. He was a big-time booker back then, which is you booker for St. Louis, which is keep eye on all the new talent, old talent, who's on top, who's good, who's bad, blah, 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 all over the United States. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was uh, like a kind, like, a, oh, I'm okay, you know. It's a heavy compliment to have you on there to, to do what, you, what he told you to do. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they put me, a lot of times they put me on the St. Louis TV. Every time I go there, I make three tapes. It's so tired. Uh, that ring is so horrible. St. Louis TV, I mean, the St. Louis uh, uh, TV ring and uh, arena ring is so horrible. <laughs> I mean, you you running around on uh, 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 the board. Yeah. Maybe a five inches thick of plywood, not the mattress, wrestling mat. <laughs> yeah, no pat, no padding at all. No, a little bit. No uh, giving, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Then you gotta do all the taking, uh, you know, falls, and you know, you make any mistake, you're gonna be, you're gonna hurt yourself. <laughs> well, what was the Kansas City? Want- what was the Kansas City ring like? Was it any better? The Kansas City ring was okay because they used the wrestling, uh, the amateur mat underneath uh, uh, canvas. Okay, okay. Which is give a little gear, uh, gear, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But the Kansas City ring was too small. What was it? Uh, I would assume it was an 18. Was it 16? What was it? 16, I think, was like a 16, maybe half the most. Oh, okay. So the when you run into the rope and uh, the kind of throw you out because you have to do the small steps to get used to it. Then a corner to corner is not the same step you used for the 18. So what did you think about the, when you went to WWF and they had the 20 foot ring? Did you like that better? Uh, the, I can use that yeah. for you because, uh, uh, the very beginning I went to WWF was the, they were still using the old uh, ropes and uh, uh, canvas and stuff. Yeah, the real ropes, yeah. Then they change it to rope much better and uh, change it to color. Uh, top was uh, color was red, white, and blue, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Yeah, not too, not too long after that, they changed the whole thing like that. Then the canvas... They uh, side the ring was they they advertising WWF and all that. Sure. Yeah. So that was very organized, but uh, they need a bigger arena because a um, bigger ring for the bigger arena. Sure. Sure. So what was uh, I, I have to ask you? Like uh, I hear a lot of uh, my American wrestling friends when they go to Japan, they give me their thoughts on your culture and where to eat and what what to do. What was it like for you to come to America just as a person? Like, what was it like to? What did you think of coming to America and doing things like an American would do? 
Uh, I was lost. <laughs> Man, I couldn't eat it because uh, the you make a trip driving, especially West Texas. That was a one or top one or two long trip territory. Sure. Yeah, then uh, somebody told me we I didn't understand English, but they told me, hey, oh, you are you going to West Texas, huh? I'm a, they used to call the Amarillo, you know. Yep. You go Amarillo, you survive there one year, you go anywhere in the United States, any territory. <laughs> so bad did, that this is, you'll be ready for anything. I didn't know what they was talking about. They were saying, oh, you're so used to the trip, then no. Only other place, long trip is like Oklahoma, uh, what is it, Louisiana, was it together? It's like the Mid-South, uh, Bill Watts area where you would go. Yeah, Bill yeah, Watts. Long and, uh, drives. Reroy McGurk. Yep. They was together. Then uh, they say uh, some top guys, uh, they fly a little, you know me, they let you fly, whatever. Mm-hmm. Then uh, some like that. So, in a short time, I figured out, oh, this is what they're talking about, because you have no time to rest and no time to eat. And the guys have a family, I guess, go home, wife cook for, wait for uh, food waiting on the table, stuff like that. My God, man, I was, I, I couldn't believe what I was doing, man. <laughs> I yeah. was... I was on the car every day, so money come in every day. I have no problem with the money. I have a money in my pocket, but I couldn't eat what I want to eat in a restaurant. Sure. One, one thing is uh, no time. Then the guys trip with it. They try to save money, so they don't want to spend the money on the restaurants. And the big thing was back then, whatever you make, how much you save that was a big thing for me mm -hmm. which is i understand saving and but i gotta eat man i rather eat i don't take any vitamins i i don't you know i mean a lot of guys take uh, uh proteins and vitamins and this and that. i take everything out of food okay. i so eat meat vegetable and whatever then i'm especially japanese so if i can get stuff like uh, rice or you know stuff like that i eat it anytime i can get that mm -hmm. but uh, still rice is not the same as japanese some of them i want to get you know like <laughs> uh, yeah. why don't they eat this you know and uh, so monday every monday we used to go to el paso texas then uh Monday afternoon before the match, a lot of guys go across the border going to Juarez. And uh, after the match, they go across the border going to Juarez to eat or drinking, you know, stuff like that. Oh, my God, that was. Once I got there, I knew already three, four guys already knew Dick Murdoch and Terry and all that. The guys go across there and say, hey, Sato, let's go what else? Let's go eat steak. Although that was good, what else? Across the border, I take my passport and visa uh, uh, card, you know what I mean? Yeah. And across border, then a lot of guys buy stuff there. Same thing you buy there, it's so cheap. Oh, yeah, sure. 
Yeah, so then the tax-free stuff. I was a single. A lot of guys marry. They want to buy stuff over there. Of course. And, and they take it home. And the one guy, I remember, every time he crossed the border, he bottled uh, by the bottle whiskey or a bottle and whatever. Because so Who was that? Uh... Guys uh, have a family. Oh, okay. Well, that, that's fine. I thought you were gonna. I was gonna be like, and it's uh, Dick Murdoch. No, uh, uh, he buy Dick Dick Murdoch. He buys uh, stuff like uh, that was a saddle, uh, made uh, order special order for the stuff like the horses and stuff. You know. Oh, sure, boots, sure. Boots and the clothes. And the second week when we crossed the border, Dick Murdoch told me, hey, boy, I mean, son, you got to have a cowboy boots. Let's <laughs> go. So <laughs> he make me uh, order uh, cowboy boots. Oh, that's funny. I said, why I have to wear cowboy boots? I have nothing else. Uh, I don't, jeans doesn't fit on me and doesn't look good, you know. <laughs> but in the Texas, you got to have a cowboy boots. Then I order cowboy boots. I pay like a sixty some dollars, yeah. which is just any store in the United States, Texas, around there, like a twenty thirty dollars boots. You know? Oh wow, yeah. And uh, special order then looks good. I mean, looks good. Then uh, I say, I told Dickie, I said, Dickie, this boots a little uh, small. And he goes, Well, tonight take shower. When you boots on and they take shower with it. <laughs> what? Now, you know what I mean? Sounds so easy, but uh, it's so hard to communicate all this I'm telling him and telling me, you know what I mean? Sure, sure. Then he goes to take shower with him tonight. Then uh, uh, upside down, put a, someplace upside down to dry him up. The leather stretches. Yeah, yeah. And he's telling me the little Japanese and the most English, then I'm. Little bitty English and a whole lot of Japanese. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I, I, that would be funny just to watch. Oh yeah, because it sounds like I'm talking Japanese and the other guy talking English. Then we start same same time laughing or look at each other like what? I can't <laughs> <laughs> well, did he make you buy like the full outfit? Did you get a cowboy hat? No, the clothes didn't fit on me because my Japanese body didn't fit on the American clothes. Oh, I see. I see. I I hate that, man. <laughs> I like a dozen nice suits and jackets and stuff like that before I come here, you know. Sure, you had to bring all your stuff over, which was probably a big pain in the butt. Yeah, then maybe I had a, like a easy, like a dozen uh, nice pants and stuff. I only did one or two, you know. Yeah. Well, I was told, hey, you side, you go to the United States, you can buy clothes anywhere, which is doesn't fit. Sleeve, oh, most of the time, sleeve is too long. And fit uh, on the waist is too tight for the, my uh, legs, you know? Yeah, sure. Stuff like that. Oh, what a pain. What a pain. Well, I left all the stuff in Japan. And I said, God damn, I wish I had all the stuff, you know? <laughs> uh, and, I, they told me that I can buy shoes anywhere, so I wear the worst uh, dress shoes I had. It I was I can throw them away, you know. Sure. And they left like a, I had a brown uh, boots and the black boots and the white boots and stuff. Uh, shoes and the boots and I mean, didn't bring any. You know? 
Oh, wow. Yeah. I guess you were regretting that pretty quickly. Oh, yeah, because you cannot believe everything they tell you sure. or they advice. It's the same thing. Japanese guys say, oh, yeah, when I was in America, blah, 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 blah. The half the time, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Saying <laughs> <laughs> Americans say, oh, you don't, you don't need a clothes. You just need a T-shirt. You can buy the shirt tomorrow anywhere, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they're not. They're, they're thinking of themselves. They're not thinking of your your body's type. No. So that was uh, like a little over four dollars. I think when you leave uh, uh, five dollars, I think a total was a big steak and a chunk of garlic. They chop up and uh, throw them in, and then vegetables and a dose of Mexican hot sauce with it. Yeah. And uh, I tell you, though, Mexico, the waters was the rice was a little bit better than America. Oh, I I gotta try some Japanese rice. I didn't know it was so different. Oh yeah, you can, you never ate a Japanese rice? Uh, I mean, I've never been to Japan, so I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've been to Japanese uh, restaurants. No, you yeah, you can eat a Japanese rice in the United States pretty good today. Okay, okay. Then I I uh, find out late early eighties California, Northern California was. Uh, they was a, they start getting a new uh, Japanese rice. Okay, that makes sense. That's because Northern uh, California has a snow in the winter time. Those the snow melt into the ground, and it gives better water. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, the, because the good rice have to grow in the better water. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they so, grow rice down in like Louisiana, of course. I know and stuff like that, but that might not be the same. Water is not good. Yeah. Because uh, half the Louisiana water is half salt and half uh, fresh. You're right. And uh, never grows a good uh, rice. <laughs> I've learned so water, water is very important for the rice because better water you can get the rice and those better rice makes better sake. Oh, okay. Well, that, that's, that's important as well. Yeah. Uh, so what was it? So when you got to Kansas City um, and you made your you you had several stints in Kansas City. Um, you you were there early and you went away. Then you came back again. Then you went away and then you came back at the end of Geigel's sort of run there and became a, the heavyweight champion there. But early on when you joined Kansas City, I know you were uh, you won the tag titles a couple times. Once with Bob Geigel and once with Ted Oates. Can you tell me about those guys? Uh, when I come to Kansas City, the I meet a few guys. I mean, Mike Georgie is one of them. Yeah. he was there. He, I find out he's a local. He from Saint Joe, Missouri. Then, uh, and uh, Ted Oates and Jerry Oates, Oates brothers. Mm-hmm. We got along really good. And uh, become to one of uh, my friends for forever, you know. Sure. And uh, uh, another one was a little bit later on, Jesse Ventura. Wow. Yeah, he come in, but he had a body, and uh, the rings inside the ring wasn't much, you know what I mean? <laughs> he was a lot of, lot of uh, he was very charismatic, a lot of personality, though, yeah. Yeah, personality, talking, walking, and uh, posing. Uh, the much, lot of them there, you know what I mean. 
So did you have anybody like that in Japan? Were a lot of your guys like that, or were they all technical wrestlers, or did you have someone like Ventura that was mostly charisma? No, we don't have that. Everybody we do from the beginning how to take a fold, how to uh, uh, tell you every move, basically headlock, top wrist lock, leg lock, leg dive, uh, everything you got to go through from beginning so that's hard so was that that was something you obviously had to pick up when you come over here because the you know the funks can wrestle you know geigo can wrestle but if you come over here and you meet someone like ventura that would be pretty hard for you to probably have a match with them right away since they're not really technically savvy as much yeah that's true then uh, uh jesse was the very first one he was copying a superstar uh-huh superstar billy Graham. A lot of people copied Superstar Billy Graham, didn't they? Hulk Hogan, uh, Scott Steiner, you know, a lot of people. Yeah, but the JC was, the, I think, uh, one of a better one for copy. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Talking, walking, posing, blah, sure. blah, blah. You know? Yeah. Then, uh, only thing I can tell myself was, well, that's American style. Mm-hmm. Then... We don't think we don't have in Japan is a promos. Yeah. And uh, everybody say the guys go to the United States saying, "Oh, you gotta you gotta do the interview on TV." Blah blah blah. We have no idea in Japan what what is the interview. Wow, it's that's a major part over here. Oh, that's a big part of it. Huge, yeah. Huge, huge, man. And. Uh, Another guy I meet was uh, J.J. Duran, and uh, in Japan, I met him. Then I come to Texas, he was there. Then they become to my lifetime friend. He liked it in Japan. He watched me, then he goes, the kid can move around, you know what I mean? Sure. Then uh, he always take care. He goes, hey, Sad, we go to Mexico. What is? Or, hey, we find a, uh, some restaurant, you might like it. And, uh, but then we have, I mean, the uh, United States have the all you can eat some restaurants. Sure. Sure. But they charge you a little more money. That's true. Which is, I had a money in my pocket. I'd rather eat better than, uh, you know what I mean? Just a snack. But a hamburger was a meal for me. Yeah. Because I'm from Japan. And Americans need more food because they're just big fat guys. <laughs> <laughs> then the, all the guys was to try to save, uh, you know, the pennies, which is that's a style, everybody. Sure. You know what I mean? Then uh, I rather spend a couple more dollars to eat good than uh, I, I be, feel safe. Which is eating was a big part of for me. It makes me feel happy. It makes me feel safe. Sure, sure. So anyway, I don't mind to spend a couple more dollars for, you know, uh, all you can eat stuff. Because you can eat a chicken, beef, whatever, meat, then the veggies and salads, soup and all that. I don't mind eating three meals right there. Sure. Because that's the way I was grow in Japan. Hmm. We After the match in Japan, we will eat. Hotels, they have uh, uh, dinner. In a breakfast and a dinner, Japanese-style hotel we have. And then after the match, you take a bath, and then I sit down and eat dinner. That's come with a, a hotel. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so but uh, here, no, you know what I mean? A lot of guys don't spend the money at all, man. <laughs> Oh, there was there was plenty of guys through the history of wrestling in America that that uh, they will sleep on fans' couches. They will eat, uh, you know, just tuna fish cans like all the time. Uh, they, you know, they like you said, some of those road trips were hellacious, so they had to like, uh, you know, just eat out of their car, and that is really hard to eat healthy that way. Um, yeah. Well, the beer was a big thing back then. Oh yeah, beer and. Uh they go, let's get vitamin B, a B, you know, like, a, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, beer with a package, uh, ham or package, uh, salami, uh, stuff like that. Yep. Uh, package, uh, cheese and uh, beer peanuts. That's funny. They, everybody say that's uh, a protein. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of guys eat good in the morning. Uh, eggs, hams, whatever, the whole meals, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times I don't see that anybody eats dinner, you know. Man, I couldn't do that, man. I was like a golly. You know? <laughs> um, who were some of your favorite opponents to face in Central States? Central States? Yeah. Uh, back was uh later on let me see i remember the easy wiskowski oh yes can went on to be colonel de beers yes and uh, he was running start running uh better performers but he was still green i mean everybody was green yeah but uh, Ted Oates, Jerry Oates, they was uh, pretty good. I heard that they start pretty good, you know. Okay. And uh, they was pretty established in uh, their style. Mm -hmm. They, I say they could work. Then uh, Mike George, he was a little bit different. Easy. And I remember the Central State. Later on, Tank Patton. Okay. He come in, he was big, but he was trying to be a better, better, better. So that was, I like to get in the ring because he was trying. So easy and the tank and uh, who else was there? So the guys, guys coming through for a short time, I didn't like that because a lot of times they have attitude. Oh, I ain't going to stay stick around too long, you know, blah, blah, blah. Sure, sure. There was a lot of that in Kansas City, wasn't there? I mean, Kansas City was sort of more of a transitional place. People, a lot of these guys didn't stay here forever. That's right. And uh, uh, I like to be a tag team with a paddle carnival. Oh, I bet that was. I bet that was great. Yeah. Then uh, he used to call me work out. You know. Yeah. And he knew I work out. I love to work out because for myself or teaching some young guys to start it, and uh, I was really good with that. Yeah. And Pat goes, hey, what you doing? Uh, you want to meet me in the memorial hall for 11 o'clock? We do work out for maybe one hour, you know. Sure. What is I go there, then he got a couple of young guys. He wanted to teach him, and also the guys – didn't have a skill to be staying here so they have to learn something you know what i mean mm -hmm. 
So what did he use me for? Some show, some moves. Paragon said, hey, you got to do this, and you got to do this way, that way, blah, blah, blah. Hey, Sat, try to do with a Sato. Then he goes, Sat, show, show him first. So I show to them, you know, me young guys. And I was so young back then. A lot of guys are older than me, man, to start a business. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like I said, I, I had no idea that you started incredibly young. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh I was uh twenty two when I got here. Wow. I was twenty one Texas and I just turned twenty two and uh, a lot of places we go drink and they ask me my ID. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true, you know. Did you in WWE uh, or WWF at the time? I know when you went on the, to there, you you had matches with the Rockers. Did you know Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty when they were in Kansas City? Uh, back then, yeah. Uh Marty, I knew it. Okay, that was like a late eighties, isn't it? Uh, he was there probably like eighty five, eighty six. You know, like yeah, right around there. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, eighty five, eighty six. I come here, eighty six. 85, 85 summer, I come here. Kansas City Royals was win that year. Yes, great year That's for baseball. That's why I remember 85. Yeah. In 86, I went to Tennessee because they say uh, Tennessee told me they, they need a job team. Okay. So that was like the second time I come back was 85. Marty was here. Did, uh, Marty Gennady. Did you think he was, uh, I mean, a lot of people of the two back then, you hear people say they thought Marty was going to be the big star. He was. He had a potential, but he was, uh, I don't trust him. He's for the, not in the ring, anything like that. I don't trust him. He was a little goofy. He's wild. What, uh, in a way, you can say wild, but a little goofy, man. <laughs> He didn't care uh, to be somebody. You cannot be like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. The only in the wrestling business, you can be goofy, whatever, party, whatever, that, drink a lot of beer, have a good time. You can do that. But uh, when you come to be a top star, which is a promoter going to depend on you drawing, uh, entertaining, entertaining, to the fans or whatever, you have a responsibility mm -hmm. as a top guy. He was too goofy to be there. Yeah, I mean, he has the record for getting fired by WWF. I think he's he's come and gone to WWF. It's in the double digits, like 12, 13 times. It's because yeah. he has talent in the ring, but he will, talent, always, he he will always screw it up for himself, it seems like. No talent, but no life lifestyle uh, or way he raised or he grew up or friends i don't know yeah i don't trust him for the life i understand that i think yeah, i think no, a lot of people ring i like to watch him and i like to uh uh work with him sure one guy i saw that you teamed up with that i don't talk to a lot of people about was did you team up with the viking and what can you tell me about him viking yeah I would have team up with him once or twice, though. I just he's he's a guy that a lot of people don't have uh, memories of, and I that I've talked to, and I just didn't know if you uh, if you liked him, if you considered him a, a good a good guy. 
Blackie was a good guy for me. I didn't have any problem with it. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, I, he wasn't too much around. It yeah. When I come here, he was sick. Then I think he had a surgery. Uh, he was half retired. And, uh, and uh, I guess he was a typical back then. Uh, have a work in the ring hard and uh, have a six pack <laughs> yeah. without that kind of type. You yeah, sure. It's nothing wrong with that because beer was a big thing back then. <laughs> what what a, speaking of beer and cigarettes? Uh, what what do you remember about Harley Race? I mean, this is a guy that was a huge star for uh, America in Japan, and he was a huge star in America too. Uh, what were your dealings like with Harley? Harley Race, I have a, a little special meeting in Japan. He, 1970, I started a business. Harley, Harley was there in 1970. He was already the big star, future uh, America top uh, champion. Uh-huh. And wasn't there yet. You know what I mean? Sure. They was talking about... Uh, uh, Dory Funk Jr. was already champion, but uh, they, they are pushing a Harley race, Jack Brisco, same rubble, just underneath Dory Funk Jr. Mm-hmm. That was a top uh, number three in the wrestling business back then. Yeah. Yeah. Then the Terry Funk was way behind that. And uh, that was a hardy race. Then in uh, 1970, made him uh, first time in Japan. I was just a young boy, started. Then, uh, then actually, more uh, had uh, more time with a dressing room and this and that. When the barber started in 1972, hardy race was one of the top stars to come in there. And uh, 1972, hardy race had uh, some share, promotion share. In a central state. Yes, he did. Okay, so he was saying, they saying he was a partner with Bob Geigel, Paddle Connor, Hardy Race. So he was one step up, just not the future champion material. You know what I mean? Hmm. Okay. Then uh, 1970, 71, 72, when Barber starts set, uh, his own promotion, 72, Hardy Race was one of the top star forever future <laughs> yeah yeah huge then the one night and uh baba baba's wife and hardy race and uh, me because i was whatever anywhere baba goes he goes you come then i go yeah so four of us when uh, we went out and uh one night say, well, we're gonna be we're gonna be friends for a long time now on Baba Bohari say I'm the only uh, I'm gonna be working for you in Japan and you're gonna be the only promoter in Japan. <laughs> because Inoki was already started other side. Then, sure. uh, then uh, international was still going a little bit and uh, Japan progressing was still name was still there. So that was a kind of night they uh, make sure friendship outside the ring forever as a as a you know friend sure so we uh we drink i guess baba i was just sitting there then uh, i drink we, we opened up a full uh jack daniels 
for just four of us, probably I drink maybe a bottle and a half. I hardly race drink the bottle and a half. And the barber sip a little bit, wife sip a little bit. Then a big uh, quartz bottle of uh, beer, we opened up uh, six of them first. <laughs> and then uh, we start drinking, like uh, we had a dinner and a drink. And some uh, the bar with the bar restaurant type, some German guy had a bar restaurant in Akasaka in Japan. Okay. Hardy knows that he goes, okay, let's go to the place I know that one German guy opened. So we drink till five in the morning. So that's what we did. Open up the four Jack Daniels and six sports <laughs> bottle beer and four bars. Did you, like, can, can you, uh, like, so you can hang with Harley drinking because most people I've heard cannot. Oh, yeah. We, I drink the, most of them. Every time Hardy goes, take a league, Baba goes, Finish up my bottle. I'm in a cup, grass. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I drink it, and the hurry comes in. He goes. Then he start making again. You know? Yeah. Or everybody drinks. <laughs> and so most of them, we probably mean a hurry race drink. That maybe a bottle and a half, almost like a bottle three quarters each. Jeez. Yeah, we went till five in the morning. Hardy race is supposed to leave a hotel eight o'clock, go back to the airport. <laughs> So, I, uh, five o'clock, we dropped, I dropped them off in a the hotel. Then I went back to my place. Barber and the Motoko, they're out. They go, oh, probably we're not going to be out, though. So, he, <laughs> Barber tell me, make sure Hardy Race get up in the morning. Then he goes to the airport and get on the plane. Yeah, yeah. So, I, uh, 8.30, I called Joe Higuchi. He was taking care of all the American guys. Mm-hmm. Then I called her Joe. I told her, left a message that Joe, when you pick up Hardy Race in the morning, get on the bus, call me. So Joe called me. He goes, Yeah, Hardy was Hardy's up and uh, he drank a lot last night or what? <laughs> Joe didn't know, you know. Yeah, yeah. He goes, Yeah, he's still half drunk. <laughs> but like, he, he got on the bus though. He goes, Yeah, but he goes, Yeah, he's okay. And he goes, what's going on? I said, no, I just make sure how the race get on the plane to go home, you know. <laughs> well. What a story. Yeah, then uh, now there on, Hardy went for Baba. How many times he went there for Baba with a belt? Oh, and, uh, yeah, lots. He, he had a, a couple times they switched the belt and all that, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, friends for business, uh, uh, friendship forever. Hardy never forget that. That's why every time he see me around here, or he, uh, I was in Carolina, Georgia, Texas, whatever. Every time Hardy comes around, he, uh, hey, Sat, let's go eat. We sit down as much as we can, you know. That's a cool friendship. Yeah, and uh, Hardy had. A lot of respect for me because I never screw up the business. And uh, I was always Baba's right hand. And especially when I was running, uh, uh, booking everything, I was doing everything. Then I heard only few people know who to talk other than Baba. Or sometimes uh, more than the Baba I was. Yeah. 
it was business wise. Wow. I have always answered for whatever they have a question. It's very cool that you had so I it's very cool how much uh you know influence and experience you had in Japan. Yeah. When you came, when you came back, you came back another time, one one last time for Geigel. I think it was 1989, and you won a, a vacant. You won the vacant Central States Heavyweight Championship, and this was right before Geigel was about to hang hang it up. Uh, the time I come back because I didn't want to move anymore. My kids were start growing, and uh, I was come. I was going to make a home for, or maybe I was going to go to Japan. Yeah. Uh, for good or I was going to get out then JJ Dillon called me from WWF oh okay uh, that was 89 mm -hmm. 88 I was thinking you know what I'm going to do and uh, I really like the California live in uh, Cal Sacramento California sure I lived there for a while then uh, we really had a good time me my wife and the kids and then uh, I come here, then the guy will need help because nobody was working for me. Yeah. And uh, so I did a little bit. Then the 89, and the JJ was WWF. JJ, he goes, hey, Akio, we have a situation here. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Tells me, you think you want to work for Vince, you know? I say, yeah, to me, well, the problem was Vince McMahon, he booked at Tokyo Dome. They was going to go to the big show there. Uh -huh. But they didn't know how to go in there. <laughs> oh, I see. They, uh, they, I, they told me they sent a letter to every wrestling office in Japan, including women's office, uh, Baba, Inoki, and uh, nobody returned answered. Wow. And uh, I understand that which is, if he wants to go to Japan, it's an opposition. Why you have to help an opposition, man? Of course, yeah. Or, I mean, probably the little, they didn't know exactly uh, they want to be set on the table with a, a equal partnership or what? What? What to expect? Yeah. They knew that was a WWE was so big now. That was uh, what middle '80s. They start doing the big shows, uh, WrestleMania and all yeah, that. '85, yeah. '85, but '83-4 uh, already they was cutting, shut down all the guys. Stop coming to Japan hmm. and all that. So '85, that was already big. They thought uh, they gonna come in. Own. Why they have to give him a hand? Well, he, I, I mean, I can't. I'm sure he would in a, you know, proper, uh, different position. But I can't see Vince wanting to help them either if the tables were turned. Well, he won't. Yeah. Which is Baba Inoki. Inoki had a business with uh, Vince McMahon before. Uh, Vince was a booker for Inoki. They used to send American guys for Inoki to offer. Yeah. But uh, now, time to change. Vince is a way holder bigger than uh, just uh, one of a promoter in the United States. Sure. Because uh, one thing was, he already had a 
NBC TV on the live from the arena and uh, uh, what was it, eight o'clock or nine o'clock? Well, that was o'clock. that was Saturday night's main event. Yeah. Yeah. Then uh, that's the, that was a part of uh, Vince's uh, dream. He wants to do the TV like a Japan doing. Yeah, I was going to say, it was funny when you were talking about it earlier, he eventually did what you said Enoki and Baba were doing, which was he was, you know, he was the first promoter to really get a, a, a you know, on a, a broadcast station across the entire United States. Now, AWA had been on ESPN, and there'd, there'd been other things like that, but Vince was the, the first broadcast was Vince, uh, in that era anyway, was Vince on NBC. Yeah, NBC. Then uh, Vince started from Tokyo Channel 12. That was a little bit weaker, but uh, that uh, uh, covers all, all over Japan. Yeah. And he started, which is uh, Tokyo Channel 12 as a copy, everything copy from Nippon TV. That's uh, Baba's TV. Okay. Nippon TV is the oldest sports broadcaster uh, uh, network channel. Okay. Yeah, then uh, they are doing uh, wrestling with uh, Ricky Dozen from live from the arena. From the very first one was uh, uh, 55, 1955. Wow, yeah. Ricky Dozen started Japan Pro Wrestling. That was 1953, year I was born. Okay. Then uh, two years later, everybody was start broadcasting from arena live show. Yeah. Hmm. So anyway, that uh, basically the Vince study from Tokyo Junior Channel was basically on uh, uh, Baba's TV. Wow. So that's what he did. I mean, live TV from arena and uh, uh, televised with uh, uh, nationwide. Same time, everybody watching the uh, United States. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, that's so you had because of what he had tried to do, and you thought he was sort of being disrespectful, so you didn't necessarily want to work for him. Uh, one is they have no idea how Vince thinking, what kind of who's going to have a leadership. Uh, who's that's a big thing in the Japanese people who's going to be the reader, leader. Yeah, because that's the way in Japan country is respect for the older people or older people in the business or upper uh, uh, position people respectful, you know, upper position people, even young or older, doesn't matter. That kind of stuff, very, very old style Japanese. So they didn't know what to respect, uh, expect with them. Yeah. That's a big thing. That's why they never say anything. They never take a step toward events. Even if they might receive the letter, Baba. But Baba told me that he didn't know anything about later. Really? Yeah. But uh, it's English letter. If anything like that, they they can do is that some of them speak some English. Not uh, 100%. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. But a lot of guys are smart enough to go in a cottage. They can look at it one hand in a dictionary. Then they can int- interpret what they say. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, they can do that. That's no problem. Or you can hire international uh, troopers. It's you pay like fifty dollars per hour, or whatever. They look at a letter, say write in Japanese, say, well, basically this letter say like this. Boom. Sure, yeah. sure. But they never went there that way. Oh, okay. So the Vince didn't get any help or any uh, <laughs> answer from anybody. <laughs> so, so did you think he was going to hold that against you in any way if you worked for him? I don't know. The Vince is Vince. I stayed there long enough to me. But one thing was I I thought I'm going to be involved. Once they established the Japanese promoting, Japanese in Japan promoting, I thought maybe. But the guy was uh, in charge for the international market back then. I don't think he liked me. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because he didn't do anything. So... We go, uh, the story I got hired then as a, a wrestler, then uh, my work was, uh, he already booked the Tokyo Dome, dates was there, then uh, they had nothing going. <laughs> so I listened and I said, when is that date? In March, whatever, end of March, right after the WrestleMania. And uh, this and that, then uh, we have no idea. <laughs> That's what they, he told me. I did want to ask you about your partner Pat Tanaka. Yeah, uh, I have a guy who wrestles who wrestled for me when I had a promotion here a couple times, and Pat Tanaka was his trainer. And I heard some crazy stories about Pat Tanaka. Just like what he's another wild guy. Uh, what was it like teaming up with him? Oh, uh, he was good. Yeah, cool. Because uh, Pat Tanaka. Well, the beginning, I taught him a lot. I was uh, uh, Tennessee, 1986 to 87, 88. Yeah. And uh, I worked with uh, Jeff Jarrett, and uh, he just come out of high school. Then uh, uh, he came up with a Tanaka, and uh, me and my partner, Goto, we worked uh, 18 weeks straight. Wow. At, uh, uh, they say that that's a wrestling history. Nobody done that. I mean, without going crazy. I mean, like that, that's a, that is a brutal schedule. Yeah, 18 weeks uh, uh, tag team. Jeff Jarrett, Tanaka, me and Goto, with, with 18 weeks straight, uh, five days a week. Wow. What a grind. Uh, never, never, nobody done it. No, nobody could have done it. Because uh, that was, uh, well, I could say I brag about it, which is the use of my uh, uh, knowledge, wrestling knowledge to uh, keep uh, porn, porn every week, you know what I mean? Wow. And uh, at the day, last time uh, AEW was here, Jeff was there. Yeah, he's back with them, yeah. Yeah, then uh, I said, well... I like to go in there, you know, behind the stage, you know. Usually, I, that was the first time, even after I quit. Because I wanted to see, uh, Toddy Blanchard was supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, Jeff was one of them. I said, I like to meet him. I mean, I like to see him, you know, anyway. Sure. 
and uh, he just come out of high school then uh, i taught him how to work <laughs> oh that's cool yeah so then uh was there then uh, jeff was looking for me too behind the stage and said where's the sato you know where's my teacher you know blah 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 anyway then uh that was a true i never told anybody and i never brag about it before but i know that was a something you cannot do in the territories you know 18 weeks you know jeez man yeah back then uh i had a Dressing a mind, dressing head a little bit. I don't have to brag about it, and I don't have to hide it anymore because. And uh, I used to teach a lot of guys. And did, a young, especially a young guy. Did you have? I mean, are there guys that you can name that were can went on to be big stars? Uh, uh in Japan, all the guys that took a main event after that. I mean in Japan and uh, Chris Jericho was you still there yeah I'm still here Chris Jericho was running around with a, a WAR uh, what is that war war yeah, yeah. 10 years office a war wow. and he was uh, running around and uh, he had a very patient I said this kid might be one day might be good you know yeah because that was like once a month, one week, he was making a trip. Then uh, before the match and uh, all that, I was watching. I said, this kid might be one day. I hope he gets a break, you know. Yeah. Which is he did. He got a huge break. He's still around today. Well, he, I guess he wasn't at the AEW show. Yeah, he is. He's one of them starters. I'm happy for him because he had a very, very good attitude for business. And uh, he's... Uh, very uh, good person. Yeah, well, good. Uh, stuff like that. And uh, what is, he looks like he had a discipline, which is a lot of guys who screw up in the business, they don't. Like, uh, Marty is one of them. Sure, he, sure. He has no idea what is the discipline in the commerce. And he screws up something, then uh, he gets fired or whatever. I don't know. You know what I mean? Then he blame on somebody else. Sure, sure. You know, stuff like that. I mean, a lot of guys like that, though. <laughs> you were talking about AEW. Yeah, you're right. There's there's a, There's been a lot of those in wrestling. Uh, you went to the AEW show, you said, with your grandkids. But one, I couldn't believe that you had that you had actually taught someone that was still in the roster. That I mean, your, your, your legacy is still alive today with uh, Emmy Sakura. Yeah, and uh, that was uh, 80, 95, 96, I think a little bit. She was there. She, she, uh, I thought she never going to survive in the business. She was so small, but now she's big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get to, some people listen, and because I never tell any stupid things. And I straight with them, you know, me when I teach someone. Yeah. Uh, like Japanese, like Misawa and Fuyuki and Goto. And I had a very first match with Onita, his first match. <laughs> wow. Wow, really? And all those guys, Japanese guys, was one of them. Who, uh, one time uh, when I was booking, they were young. I was teaching what the, what is the wrestling business is. Not the only, uh, you know, I mean... Uh, the physical physical things in the ring you know what i mean mm -hmm. 
those things later on when you start picking up a business then you can use that oh so-and-so told me business is this and that not the physical movement in the ring you know what i mean sure the all the other stuff that goes along with it yeah and uh, they all got to uh, grow up to be you you told me that noah was the one time the biggest one that was a uh, misawa was the, uh he was the head on to Noah Noah had an affiliation when when Harley Race. Oh, that's had, right. You mentioned Harley Race. He had a he had his company here in Missouri called World League Wrestling, and they had a uh, relationship with Noah. So a lot of Harley's guys in the, you know, in the late nineties, two thousands, they would get sent over to Japan to Noah, and that's how they got to yeah Misawa. They had a they had a good relationship with them. Yeah, Misawa and uh, one of them uh, was a ring announcer dude. Uh, uh, they was uh, co-owners. Okay. And the uh, dude was, he was a young kid running around when I was a booking. I say, hey, uh, go to the, talk to so-and-so and tell him Sato say this and this and that. <laughs> he was running around for me. Yeah. Then later on, I saw him in uh, Las Vegas. Then he told me him in the Misawa opened up after Baba died. Because they didn't want to work for Baba's wife, you know. No, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> that seems and to be. And that's why they started. Then uh, Misawa was the biggest star in Japan, which is, and do uh, was told me all the stuff I thought him when they was young. Yeah. It was by the way when you were at WrestleMania six, was that the biggest in Toronto? Was that the biggest crowd that you've ever wrestled in front of? Uh, yeah, in the front of, uh, yes, what was it, 67,000? Something like that, yeah, I didn't know if you had ever gotten anywhere close like that, uh, somewhere else. Uh, but, short time after that, Vince told me I gotta retire because of Take Care of Japan promotion. Oh, I see. That's what happened, then until then, Vince told me I'm gonna use you as wrestler, you he told me that I'm gonna be, we're gonna be on TV every week, and every pay per view. That, <laughs> yeah. That's the guarantee. Which is, I find out later on, that's a big. Oh, it's huge, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, he said I, I don't give a uh, anybody guarantee so much for night and this and that. I say you guarantee is you're gonna be on TV every week, every TV, and every pay per view. Mm-hmm. Which is. I did. And the other day I was talking to the Japanese uh, magazine editor. He told me I was the very first Japanese on the WrestleMania. Huh. Were you? Yep. you- you might yeah. you you might have been because you were in six and I I'd have to go through all the cards but yeah that could that could be very true yeah yeah because a lot of Japanese guys been United States you know mm-hmm. and uh, he said uh, I was the very first one got on the WrestleMania oh that's cool but the who re- expect that because I'm just a little guy and I never had a top shot. Even though I was a book and I never put to myself on the top of anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only thing my solid work was wrestling mind, business mind. Yeah. 
And uh, just like I say before, I never ask uh, money. I should ask more money or big money or whatever. You know. Sure. Anyway, that's the way it was. You never know how that's going to work out. If you ask for more money, sometimes they will use that against you and maybe eventually fire you because now they, they will find someone else to do it cheaper. So it's it's always hard to make that that ask. Well, I tell you what, though. I should ask more money or more position or more title for in, even in Japan. You got to understand that when you're talking to me, my biggest thing was always in Japan. Mm-hmm. Even though I was working for WWF back then, and uh, that wasn't me. I was always thinking about Japan. Yeah. And uh, I was promised from Baba. And uh, not only me, but a few others, uh, when Baba started opened up a, a promotion, we went with him. There was a lot of promise there. Yeah. But I never got there. That's why I never tell Baba FU, but I, I don't feel like it. And I never be close, uh, never his side mm-hmm. after that. Because I grew up. Sure. When I was young, didn't know any better. And uh, later on, I got to start thinking about my own kids, you know. Of course, yeah. Yeah, anyway. So that was a big, a big thing. Was Japan always? Well, that's cool. That's cool that you still had your your ties to your homeland because that yeah that's even when even when you were here you still had all your love there. Yeah. Then uh, uh, we go back to the Misawa because they told me the Misawa office Noah was biggest uh, the group. And Hardy was, uh, I guess he was a booker from America. But who who can he can send? That was already no. WWF was scooping all the time, and uh, he Hardy Race don't have anybody sent there. <laughs> sure, sure. Then uh, when I was uh, Las Vegas, uh, and uh, Liu was there, Liu say, "Mr. Sato, what are you doing now? You like to come to Japan?" I said, "No, don't do that." Because how are you going to be, he's going to be worried because whatever he was doing for them is a very, very uh, little things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said he got a big title. He was doing for sale, how do you race? Sure. So he can go trip to Japan, this and that. Uh, so Hardy Race gets nervous when I was talking to uh, uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. So I told her, I said, you, stay away from me. <laughs> I think Hardy Race getting nervous because the, his job, he can, I can do uh, from home making a couple phone calls and be done. Sure. Don't have to go to Japan. I don't have to get on an interview, nothing this year. <laughs> yeah. I understand, uh, and you know how wrestling is anyway. Everybody's paranoid anyway, so when people—that's that's true. Yeah, especially in America. I don't know if it's like that in Japan, but in America, it's always been paranoia. So Japan's always saying, "Yeah, it's the same business." 
So I wanted to wrap up. I know you, uh, you've, you've told me you enjoyed your time going to Cauliflower Alley in the past in Las Vegas, and I know you got the Men's Wrestling Award in 2009, but what, what are your memories of that reunion? Because I've gone a handful of times. I'm going to go again this year. Um, you know, as time, as time moves on, things change, and, you know, the people that are there are different and stuff, but it's still really cool to, uh, to see a lot of the guys from the past there. Uh, back then was still good. Used to be like a reunion. Mm-hmm. Old timers, hey, what, how you doing? You know, oh yeah, uh, my knee doesn't work, but other than that, everything good. That kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! And uh, how you doing? You know, and then guys go, oh shit, I remember a lot of things yesterday, but I don't remember anything <laughs> I did yesterday. <laughs> stuff like that, exactly. You know? Yes, yes. That's how it still That's is. Good. Good old time talk about the back then, you know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, I heard last few years I didn't go because Betty, she's sick anyway. Yeah. And uh, I don't see any more the guys used to know, Red Bustin, Buckwinkle, and, uh, you know what I mean, Terry, uh, uh, Dick Byer, and all those are my good friends. You know? Yeah, they're all, they've all, most of them passed away. Yeah. Yeah, then uh, JJ, JJ called me. He go, hey, everybody there, man. You you know, you old-timer too now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I went there. Then the Penny Bonner, that's a woman. Yep. She was very happy to see Betty and me showed up. And uh, Dick Byer told me, hey, you showed up a really good time, you know, because everybody knows old-timers. I have a Japan in my background. Yep. Yeah, because one time I was a little bit at Kiyosato from Japan, Japan business, you know. Mm-hmm. So Dick said, I'm glad you showed up. And then uh, they told me, uh, they, a couple of guys told me that, hey, I think you should be, uh, what do they call the, uh, the what do they call uh, the group they handle the uh, organization? Oh, just part of the board of the the board of the Cauliflower Alley Club. Yeah, or? the board. I guess the board. You know, he they asked me, "You should be in the board." Uh, we are talking about that because all the uh, press people, media people, all the old timers, Japanese, and uh, you have all connection. You know, mm-hmm. and I said, "No, I don't do that." You know, <laughs> I'm tired of it. And uh, that's why I didn't do it. But uh, it's nice to talk to old timers. Sure, I, th- I think it's fun to I, it's fun to see them all. And Dick Byer, I, I did get to meet him a few years ago, and he was still there. He signed a he signed a mask for me, and it was cool to uh, he has a he has a big history in Japan. Oh yeah, then uh, when he worked for Barber, then uh, work with the uh, team up with the Barber, then. And uh, right before I come to the United States, 1974, like uh, for a while, he was staying with us, hotels and everything. We spent a lot of time. So after the match, we have dinner, and he's talking to Barber business. I was already sitting there and listen. I mean, there, you know I me, mean? I don't understand what they're talking about because Barber's a little English and the buyer talking English, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I guess talk about the future. What do we do next tour and the future tour, this and that kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, he started working out with the young boys, including me, and uh, he showed me, tell me, he asked me, why you guys do this and do that, you know? 
and stuff like that. Yeah. I was, I was like a Dick Byer's son, you know, in Japan. The, so I saw Dick Byer, and I said, God, he goes, God damn it, about time you showed up. You know? <laughs> he goes, you're not young anymore. You're an old timer like us. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You should be there more. Yeah. That's why we was going there every year to see uh, Terry Funk and uh, J.J. Dillon and uh, stuff like uh, Nick Bach. And, uh, sure, sure. J.J. still shows up there, definitely, but uh, well, the, most of the other guys you're talking about are no longer there. Yeah, Terry's not there. And Bakuenko, when he, they, we switched the belt, AWA belt, in Japan, I was a booking. Oh, cool. I was a... Uh, I made a, a jumbo champion. They, Baba thought he's going to do it. But that's why the sooner or later I have to leave Japan because I got too much heat from that. <laughs> jumbo Saruta getting it over Baba? Yeah. Oh, wow. I did, I did that. Wow, that's because interesting. I talked to TV, uh, uh, Nippon TV, and the money we pay for the bill, how many times we can do the big show. How many times we can do the TV special other than every week, and you know, calculate all the money and uh, stuff, you know, for business. Sure. Baba didn't have any idea. Baba just wanted to get the belt. Hmm. Did you know uh, Baba was the only guy, Japanese guy, could have had all the three major titles uh, back then? No, I did not. WWF and uh, NWA and the WWA. Wow. That was the three major organization promotion back then. Yeah. Okay. When you Bruno Sammartino dropped the belt on uh, uh, Ivan Carlos. Yep. That was supposed to Baba. Bruno asked Baba to do it. And what happened to that? Baba couldn't leave Japan for like uh, three, four months. I so see. he. Then that was, uh, what, 72, 3, 1, 2, or something like that. Right? Okay. Yeah, then, uh, well, NWA belt, Baba ended up in uh, three times. And uh, 80, 83 or 4, whatever, when we did uh, AWA. Yeah. And. Uh, Bobo Ganya, he thought a Bobo still can do it, but I switched to Jumbo. So Bobo could a title, hold a title, three major title, all titles. He could have done that. Wow. One time. That's interesting. You were part of that history there. Yeah, but uh, I, if he said no, he said he's going to do it, I was going to pack the shit, uh, you know what I mean? I was going to do it. <laughs> uh, no this is true because for the business wise and the tv gonna pay three quarter million dollars they have to put up on table mm -hmm. and we have to i have to as a booker figure out how are we going to get the money back sure i mean sometimes that's going to hurt feelings <laughs> yeah then blah 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 then uh i me and baba was in the one room that i and he wanted to talk to me some other things and i said I think well, I'm going to do the belt with a jumbo. And uh, he smoked cigar. He was puffing a cigar. Look at his sitting, and uh, he and uh, I didn't see nothing. We was like uh, maybe 
to me like a two three minutes we didn't say nothing his eyes are up in the air looking for something and then i just keep i look at look at his eyes and i say well if he say no i do it then i say okay bye <laughs> wow so how well, did so how did he respond he goes uh finally he say well, Ganya told me uh, he asked for me to do it. I didn't say nothing. Hmm. Then he kind of like uh, head down, shake, you know, me shake, head down, say, okay. You know, because he knew I wasn't going to step back. He wasn't scared of me, but uh, he knew it. I was growing up. Then uh, I tells the business what to do. Business, you understand? Not yeah. that. It's not <laughs> personal. It's it's you're just trying to make the best product, yeah. Then he was still losing the business. That he was owns the company because he has a share. Mm -hmm. But he has nothing to do with the business. He wasn't running the business. That's interesting. Yeah. So sooner or later, I know uh, that was a bad. He never gonna forget that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. He's probably gonna hold that one against you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Always he does. He tried a double cross on Booker, man. Wow. Because he don't care about business, money. Room. He only care what Baba's wife thinks. <laughs> no, that's true. Oh, man. Anyway, it's just stuff like that, you know. Well, I, I'd... Akio, it has been uh, it's been an honor to talk to you. I really appreciate you giving me this time. I've I've, I've wanted to talk to you for a long time, and uh, even though you're in Kansas City, I've never met you before. But I appreciate you doing this, and okay, thank you very much. Hey, uh, any part of you don't need it, just go ahead and cut off. <laughs> <laughs> I will okay. do that. I will do that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. but thank thank you very much, and I will keep okay. in touch with you. Yeah, please. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. Have a good day. <laughs> you too. Welcome back to the worst territory in the world. Chris, like we said before we got to the interview, Akio Sato, what a great interview. Probably one of our longest ones today, but I mean, enthralling all the stories. It, like you said, I, I could literally hear you being kind of blown away. Like, wow, I, I had no idea you had such an influence in Japan. So hearing some of the, the backstage uh, interesting things that go on in Japan. It, it, just such a great interview. Yeah, you know, Japanese wrestling, just because of the rise of the internet, you just know so much more about it now than we could have when we were younger. And, uh, you know, never having talked to Akio before, never really understanding his full background and the Japanese wrestling scene when he lived in Japan and just his connection to it and how much power he had even when he was in the United States still. Uh, it was it was really cool. So I thank Akio Sato and I thank Mike George for helping set that up. Yeah, yeah, that's I, I can't wait to hear. So I mean, like you said, we're going to have some NWL interviews uh, coming up. We're going to talk more about the NWL. We're going to talk more about Metro Pro um and everything. Central that's some good feedback on the Metro Pro. Uh, I, I, uh, I did as well. I, a I, lot of people enjoyed hearing sort of the the, the beginning of that and the process of going through that. And, and I guess I sort of had to remind myself that the whole reason why I, uh, I ended up running more than the first show after the whole debacle that came up after that was because 
it was really just despite those that I disliked. And so, uh, and so that led to like a five, six year run after that. <laughs> it was really, it was really just because I could not let the, uh, the idiots win. So that, that's what happened. <laughs> and I think there's so much more meat on the bone talking about maybe more of the day day to day operations of Metro Pro. What was it like towards the final stretch? I mean, we kind of gave an over, you know, an overview of what running Metro Pro was like, but I think there's there's more meat on the bone there. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to the next couple of weeks. But uh Chris, <laughs> oh man, it's that time. We have a new segment on uh worst territory in the world, and I hope it works. I'm a little are... scared. Like you're, you, all you do is laugh and rub your hands together talking about this. So I don't understand what, okay. Yeah, let's hear it. All right. So this segment, the new segment that we're going to do is called Chris watches. And what I'm going to do is when we do this segment is I am going to share with you a match and we're going to watch it together and commentate on it. Just kind of <laughs> go through what you're seeing and because you you know you were such a big WWF guy, it doesn't mean you didn't watch the independence. It didn't mean you know anything like that. But sometimes I'm gonna show you some weird stuff. Sometimes I'm gonna show you some not so weird stuff. But you know, just I want you to watch these these matches that I have and kind of get your reaction. Sometimes it's gonna be a short cl- clip. Today, I do have two choices for you. So I either want you to pick the desert. Or the ocean. Um, well, I don't I'm not a big fan of the intense heat. So let's go ocean. You're gonna go the ocean? Okay. So Chris, what we're going to watch today. Japan. <laughs> Absolutely. We are going to watch a piranha death match today, right here on the worst territory in the world. Now I I have to set this up by saying I when I was a uh you know, obviously younger, I used to read all the dirt sheets, all this kind of stuff. And I used to get, you know, the RF video catalog and I would just see all these like coffin fire tube death match, you know, mm-hmm. order this, all this kind of stuff. So this is one of the matches that I always wanted to order. I, I was just like, man, if I had an extra 20 bucks, I want to order this match. Cause I want to see a piranha death match. And today, Chris, we are going to watch the piranha death match. So let me pull it up here. A piranha death match. So I'm. So this is Japan. Is it a specific company? Oh yeah, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll, once I pull it up, I'll I'll, I'll kind of set. A, I'll set the table for all of us here. So let me do a screen share, and you can obviously edit this if you want. You know, this is a podcast. It's audio only. Correct. Absolutely. Okay. But so no one can actually see the piranha death match except well, me and you. Well. Here's the thing. We can actually, we can link the the YouTube clip in the notes mm-hmm. and I can also tell them how to find it and then we can sync okay. it up. So watch along, Chris. Come on. That's fine. Okay. One participant can share at a time. Screen share. Let's do this. Share that. Can you see that, Chris? I see it. <laughs> oh my God. It's going to be great. Oh, BJW already sounds fitting. <laughs> All right. So I'm not even going to. So if you look up, ladies and gentlemen, if you look up Piranha Deathmatch in your YouTube search bar, um, it is the first selection that you can come across. And I'm going to count down from three. And then when I say play, you hit play and pull up the video and you can watch along with us. So 
This is Chris Watches the Piranha Death Match from BJW featuring. Hold on, I gotta pull. I can't see the guy's name. Matsuhiro Matsunaga versus Kendo, Kendo Nagasaki. Everyone knows Kendo Nagasaki. Mm-hmm. All right, so here we go, Chris. I'm gonna turn on the sound in three, two, one, play. So this is interesting. So in the corners, caddy corner, they have two tables against the the corners, and they have a huge fish tank in the middle that's about <laughs> halfway filled with water with, I guess, killer piranhas in it. So this is one. This is a match that you really wanted to uh, get your hands on, huh? Yeah, yeah. Because I I was like, how do they do it? Like I was always interested. Like because you know, uh, there's Kendo Nagasaki. Chilling, uh, chilling in his white T-shirt here, taking it off, letting all the ladies see what he's got. So we cut into the match. I'm not going to make you watch the whole thing. This is a five minute clip. Oh, look, oh look, God. Chris, look. Okay, so they keep doing false spots where you're going to throw the person into the sort of the casket sized aquarium right. with the piranhas in it, and of course, no one's going in it for a while. Oh, see, look. Oh, oh, now he's you he got lazily pushed into the barbed wire board. So, yes, I forgot to mention the, the board slash tables that are in the caddy corners both have like springs of spiraled uh, barbed wire coming out of it. This is, is that, already is... such a garbage match. <laughs> Look at that axe kick. Great kick. Uh, actually, those kicks right there, not bad, right in the chest of old uh, Mishawa Mishagawaga. Matsunaga? Yeah. Matsunaga, thank you. Okay, okay. Actually, trying to throw it back into the aquarium. Uh, throw it. This is like watching a Royal Rumble where the guy is just hanging off the top rope for five minutes and you can't actually push him over with the help of 20 people. Okay. He's trying to get his face right into that water. So, okay, now is so is the whole idea here like, is he supposed to be bleeding and dripping into the water? I would to, think that you need a little chum in this aquarium for you to uh, get the, yeah, get the piranhas all excited to eat. Oh, oh, his head went in. So, I'm gathering the winner of this match is the one who throws their opponent into the aquarium and covers it, maybe? F fully? I mean, I don't know. These the, the rules are just so understanding all the time. As Magic Man told us, he was wrestling a guy in like a shark outfit. So, And here we go. He's trying to hip toss him in, but no, no. Okay, so now you see the blood in the water from the guy's forehead. Okay. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So, Uh-oh. So oh, he's almost got him in. The per Nagasaki's almost got Matsunaga in there. And uh, yeah, blood is just gushing from his forehead <laughs> into the water. Now, see, this is a car wreck match that I would could see one time just out of it's like the Chamber of Horrors. You can watch that once because it's so bad. Look at you can actually <laughs> The water is turning red. It looks like Kool-Aid. You can see the piranhas swimming and they're so small. So so I guess my question is like like you said, who's going to win if they get it fully in or if like he gets a piranha attached to his head? Like, how do you win this match? <laughs> Dude. Low job wrestling has done a horrible job with the <laughs> rules and stipulations of this. Oh, 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 his head went in. His head went in. So now Wait. you have Nagasaki in there. They're both gushing blood from the forehead. The poor piranhas cannot see through the water because it's so bloody red. Oh. Okay, so yeah, so apparently it's got to be who's submerged in the tank first. Yes, because right now, like I said, it's a huge, I don't know, this is like a 50-gallon, 75-gallon tank, and it's like two feet off, you know, it's two foot high, 
and maybe like six he, foot wide. He threw water at him. Is he trying to pick up a piranha out of there to throw at his opponent? Is he trying oh, to put this. it down his pants? <laughs> yeah, he forgets with that vicious power bomb that he can't just pin him. He has to put him in the tank of piranhas. Now, thankfully, this clip that you have is really oh hard god, he's really that? yes, he's hard edited this match where you don't have to watch all the horrible uh, sort of filler before it goes to the finish. And he just pile drove him, and he up oh, up oh, he's in he's in, and the piranhas are swimming around. The piranhas okay. are crushed and or swimming around. So. Uh, Nagasaki wins this huge piranha. Oh, you have to put the board on top. And Matsunaga is now, he's laying on top of the board. He is keeping him inside as the piranhas can eat him to death. And here comes the locker room to take him out because they cannot have Matsunaga getting eaten live in front of this raucous crowd of 100 people. Oh, it's Big Japan. I thought it was blowjob wrestling. Big Japan wrestling. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't know that. I'm sure people are like, don't you know Big Japan? No, I don't know Big Japan. No one cares. Okay, so so is he is that gash on his chest from piranhas? Because please, God, let it be. Um, or did he no, probably gig himself on the way out? I would assume that he's gigging everywhere down the front of his body just to get a little bit more play from the piranhas. Well, there I can, you I, go. I, I can uh, look. I can appreciate the craziness of that match, Gabe. It was. And knowing uh, how Japanese wrestling has been for at least 30 <laughs> years, that is definitely in the realm of what they would do. I I, I thought that was uh, for like a one-off, like crazy, like match, not the main event. I think that could be fun. <laughs> okay. So you kind of, you, you kind of at least enjoyed the edited version five minutes. If you're going to tell me uh, we're going to have a competitive intergender match or a piranha match, I'd pick piranha. So there you go. Okay. Well, I mean, and just so you know, going forward, we're never going to do um, anything that's like, because I was, when I was searching for this match in particular, I I came across like the, the death matches nowadays, dude, I swear to God, wild. Like to the level of like, it's not even fun. It's so it, gross and disgusting. It's not even fun to watch anymore. Right. Like there was like this, it said like a scissor board death match. And I'm like, no, dude, no, that's like. That's just like uh, beyond the realm of like. So that's like what XPW is now. XPW, like everyone is gushing blood from the first match to the last. Can you imagine the canvas at the end of the night? I mean, I would hope they'd set the damn thing on fire afterwards, but they probably don't. They probably wash it off at a car wash and bring it back the next week. But I look, it's. Uh, the death match. I mean, what do you expect? This is this is the age old argument, Gabe. It's like and and I, you know, Cornette and the like always can uh, likes to talk about this, and I agree with it. When Mick Foley is thrown off the top of the damn cage. They should never have a Hell in a Cell match again. When Mick Foley and Terry Funk do death matches and you get to see that tape for 30 years, I mean, you're, I mean, that's that's about the limit of what I want to see a death match. You know, maybe some you know, little barbed wire, a little exploding, whatever. Right. But like what they do now is like these people are like, I mean, the Nick Gage is the world. How many times have you seen like, wasn't Nick Gage that got like air flighted out of a field somewhere because yeah. he's about to die? Yeah, he was I bleeding mean, out. That is so stupid that it's like watching a it's like watching paying a ticket to see the remember the 
homeless fighting videotapes that were uh-huh. big like 20 years oh, yeah. ago. It's like that bum fights or whatever. It's like live bum fights. It's like, uh, it's funny for about two seconds to tell one of these dudes about to die. And you're like, Oh, I, I really don't want to see human cock fighting. So yeah. Well, some people pay to see this stuff. Very few people pay to see this stuff, but it's it's just like it's it's gotten to this point where I was like, well, we're never going to watch anything super gross. I always wanted to be something fun, something a little bit lighthearted. I was going to choose the clip of Masada lighting himself on fire. But because you had already seen that, I was just like, yeah, I have we'll- seen that. But I mean, so many times you've seen that happen where it backfires and the, and the fire can't be put out. And it's just like, I, you know. I know a lot of times you're doing that with lighter fluid and that stuff sort of just burns off and doesn't necessarily going to, you know, have you to cause you to have a skin grafting or something. But I just it's it's not even fun to watch. Uh, And the people that want to watch that are also people that probably like to see murders like really take place in real time. So I, you know, whatever. Uh, Did you you ever get into that faces of death stuff? You remember faces of death when we were younger? Yeah, no, I never got into that. No, I'm a. I'm just a sweet Midwestern kid. I don't I don't watch that stuff. Did did you always think a little bit less of people that were into it? Because I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, I, I think they could uh, easily be sent to a deserted island somewhere and they can all live together, kill each other. And there was a movie about that. But yeah, I used to some of the kids in my in my in my school would always be like, Oh, like, oh, I watch Faces of Death House. And I'm like, what's wrong? You want to watch people die? Like, yeah, it's weird. Wrong? Yeah, but little known fact about Faces of Death: the first one was actually a lot of the deaths were staged. It was not a real movie. Some of them, some of them were. Well, is that? I mean, that that might be interesting to know now. But at the time, people thought they were so, yeah. and the people that really loved it were like getting off on that. So, yeah. like you know, yep, weird weirdos. You're weirdos. all weirdos. Weirdos. Well, thank you, Chris, for this week, this week's edition, and being a good sport about uh, Chris watches right here on the worst territory in the world. Chris, you want to wrap up with anything or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking for it. Thank you again to Akia Sato, Mike George for setting that up. Um, you know, like you said, we have uh, many more central States guys that have come th- around through here uh, as well as Metro pro and NWL guys. And just guys that have been in the Kansas city area in and out for years. Uh, you know, as this expands and we continue to talk about more and more things, we just have more, uh, avenues we can go down and so you know i'm looking forward to talking to like you know gil rogers dak draper you know todd letterman slash kevin lee davidson looking forward to talking to nwl because as i think you and i were talking about it'd be interesting to hear like a dissenting opinion about uh the nwl you know because some people did not um find it to be to their liking. I don't really know how uh, KLD KLD feels about it nowadays. You know, he, right. he was definitely not a guy that enjoyed it a hundred percent the entire time. So uh, maybe he has a different perspective on it, or maybe he feels the exact same way, but I mean, I am interested in hearing his, his opinion about it because I always liked KLD and uh, he's still active in wrestling, promoting and all that in the St. Louis area. So um, hopefully we'll have him on here very soon. Yeah, it's uh, I, I I think that's going to be a really fascinating conversation because, like you said, not everybody saw the value in the NWL that we did or that some of the wrestlers did. So it'll be a it'll be a, a good conversation. We got a bunch of interviews with or potential interviews with a lot of the guys um, in their different perspectives on the NWL. So that should be some fun podcasting coming up, guys. Don't forget to like and subscribe on our YouTube channel, uh, Worst Wrestling. Also, go find us on Facebook. Um, and give us a like so we can get to those 1500, uh, likes on Facebook and me and Chris, we'll, we'll make a shirt. I've already got some, 
I, uh, design ideas because I believe in you guys. Spread the word. Tell everybody about our Facebook page. Also, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on wherever you get your podcasting needs met and let us know what you love about the podcast. And Chris, tell them about the what's the email address that they can write to us if they have questions, comments. Yeah, worstwrestling at gmail.com. And I got several emails this week about uh, different things. So worstwrestling at gmail.com. Uh, I, was, I forgot to tell you, Gabe, I did reach out. It hasn't worked, but I did reach out to Reverend Slick, who is a real minister yes. uh, down in Texas. I've been trying to sort of I I was reading some old articles about these churches he was at, but he has since moved on to multiple churches since then. And I did find the church that he is at right now. Uh, but the only way I could contact him was like phone and email. And shockingly, he has not gotten back to me about wanting to talk about his former life in professional wrestling, which, as you know, he's been back a handful of times over the last 30 years, but not very many. And he probably really doesn't want to taint his uh, his new religious uh, career uh, with talk of his wrestling life. But anyway, I would love to talk with him because, uh, you know, I want to I want to find out if he is truly the son of uh, of Rufus R. Jones. So. Put that to rest once and for all. That would be awesome. But yeah, guys, uh, we thank you for all the love and support for this podcast. We, the feedback has been great. Um, just keep spreading the word and uh, we'll keep putting out content each and every week because there is no better time of the week to talk about the worst territory in the world. For Chris Goff, I'm Gabe Miller. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.